0: Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting for the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about post-emerge grass herbicides for wheat on today's program, but we'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show. And that could be a little interesting if your farm happens to be going through the same things that our farm is going through. So, uh, I've I've already gotten some feedback from, from farmers that I know from around the country. So I bet Brian's getting pretty antsy that you guys haven't gotten anything in the ground yet. And the answer to that is always yes. <laughs> He's getting antsy about it. I'm actually getting a little antsy about it. Maybe not as much as Brian. But uh, our, our guys tried scratching around in the field, and we were bringing up clumps of frost. So it just... Wasn't going to go. And and in some parts of the field, it was great and everything, but we got cold again. And boy, today, it's it's no fun being outside. And if it's not fun being outside, it's probably not going to be quite ready for planting. And it's just not. So anyway, uh, a lot of stuff to go here. And it's it's coming up. And, and this is really tough. I had a couple farmers I was talking to this morning that, that farm about a half an hour south of us. And they were having the same debate man, it just, it just isn't ready yet. And here we are last year. We would have had some stuff done and this year we got nothing, but you know what, with the equipment that we've got now, we can get things done so fast. It's, there just isn't any point in pushing it too hard at the start. Um, one thing though, that, that gets Brian and here's his line of thinking. Sometimes he'll say, you know, I'm not worried about the first day. I'm worried about the last day. And let's just say we were going to get done May 10th and our ideal window kind of closes at May 5th and, and we start losing yield. You know, any day on this front side that we can get is another day off of that May 10th ending. And hopefully our ending can still be on time. Well, we're still in a good spot. We're still going to end on time, weather permitting. We, we've got enough equipment and, and we can cover enough acres and so forth that it shouldn't be a big concern. However, there are still some plans going into place, and maybe you're in the same boat here on this one, too. Are we going to switch some acres around? What are we going to plant for maturities? Now that we're a few days later than we thought, should we should we be switching back? And we've talked about, and I, oh, I should have probably had this website on my head. I didn't think that I would be necessarily talking about this, but... Um, but we just look at the website that first university of Illinois had put this out. Now I think Purdue is maintaining the site. If I, if I'm right by their, their website that you go to, but there's an online GDU or growing degree, uh, basically tie from your geography to the amount of GDUs it's going to take to reach black layer and to reach maturity and so forth. And, That's really key for us. So we look at that of all right, if we plant on April 22nd versus if we plant on April 17th, do we have to back off our hybrids and what are our odds of getting to black layer without a frost? Those kinds of things are awesome. I love that we've got tools like that that Brian and I can argue about stuff. We can debate little nuances of farming and most of the stuff we agree on. But when we've got a a calculator like that that can actually show us real numbers, hey, your odds of having a frost by this date are, you know, 30%. Okay, well, 30%, I'm willing to take that risk. We have 7 out of 10 odds that we're going to make it. And, you know, for Brian, his threshold may be a little different than mine for risk because we're different people. I, th- I think those kind of tools are great. So whenever you can, utilize the real climate data that you've got from your area and and start with that. Now, what is an average year? We were talking about this today when our temperature is very cold and we started off freezing this morning and we look, well, the average high in our area for the month of April is 59 degrees. So we aren't going to get there today, but we are going to get there and beyond the next few days coming up. So for, for me, I don't know what an average year is anymore. It seems like it's either a drought or a monsoon. And it, you, you just have to look at what the historical data is because over time, it's going to play out towards the average. So for us, we aren't changing anything just yet. Uh, we're still planning on planting full-season maturity corn. And on our soybeans, we haven't changed maturities on those yet either. So our first planting date for soybeans is around April 25th for crop insurance. And there are a few guys that are putting in some beans earlier than that just to, to try it out. And it, it sure seems like the early planted beans are paying. Maybe those crop insurance dates will change going forward. But for us, we haven't even thought about beans yet. We're still thinking about, hey, let's get the planters ready for corn. Let's get ready to go. And we'll, we'll be all set to roll as soon as the weather is, is fit. With our farm we've got a little bit of grain corn we've got a lot of silage corn going into this year and another part of this that kind of makes us not nearly as nervous is with silage corn if we plant it just a little bit later it gets taller. Now there's probably still that that date of May 5th that we really want to have everything in by. I'm I'm not saying we want to wait till later on in May but we still want to have high yield, but we, we want to have high tonnage out there, and getting a little bit bigger plant is a good thing. So when those first few leaf stages are happening for corn, if we're warmer, we're going to have a taller plant. And it's something you may be thinking about if you're not raising silage corn. You say, man, my corn has been too tall in recent years. Planting a little bit earlier could be part of the recipe for, for shortening things up. The other thing that we're going to be doing to try to increase the height of our crop this year is using Rise Up Smart Grass, which is a gibberellic acid product, to try to extend uh, the internodes in those early growth stages. So when our daytime highs are less than 70 degrees and we've got corn up and growing, we want to try to to make those internodes a little bit longer and get more shoot ex- extension on our corn plants. So something we'll be doing as well. Now we're talking wheat today and we're talking about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat and on wheat you'll see some guys doing the opposite trying to keep things shorter and there are a lot of benefits of of keeping wheat shorter like for example standability and, and reduced lodging that's great the challenge is Are you going to have a thick enough canopy to keep out weeds? And grass weeds are certainly the toughest on yield and the toughest to control in wheat. So, on today's program, we're going to focus on post emerge grass herbicides for wheat, but we'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 AGBHD.
1: Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. More farmers are discovering the power of the Germinator. Greg from Iowa says, This year I was very impressed with the Germinator's performance in a variety of soils. More Germinator success stories at FarmShopMFG.com.
2: This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
1: Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground.
3: Fight today's resistant weeds and prevent those of tomorrow. University trials and grower use proves that adding Tough IVC to the post tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds such as Palmer amaranth, waterhemp, and kochia. Tough IVC is a selective contact herbicide that synergizes with HPBd inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough IVC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat. And yeah, it's way too cold to be spraying in our geography right now. But you know what? In the wheat crop, these grasses can be really tough yield robbers. So we want to make sure we do a good job taking care of those. Got Paul Johnson on right now with South Dakota State University. He's the Extension Weed Science Coordinator up there. Paul, thanks for joining us.
3: Yes. Uh, good afternoon and yeah I hope uh, there's some people out there I here western South Dakota we're at 80 degrees and we're lucky if we're 35 here in the
0: eastern yeah it's really cold out there today but you know what uh, it won't be long and you'll be getting all kinds of calls about what's this grass and what's this grass and wheat why are grasses so much tougher to identify than broadleafs it seems like a lot of farmers ask for grass identification help
3: yeah, yeah, and part of it is when grasses are really small, it's, uh, you almost got to get the magnifying glass out to look at some little bit of differences unless you've got an eye for it and have seen them enough uh, to determine which one you have and, and uh, what you're going to do about it
0: what are the toughest yield robbers? I know they talk about wild oats and how much more yield wild oats is going to take than foxtails, but uh, how would you rank the tough grasses you're fighting in wheat and which ones are the worst? Yeah,
3: well, wild oats is definitely bad. Um, And uh, I know North Dakota has still some real big problems with wild oats. Uh, Luckily, in South Dakota, with uh, changing crop rotations and things like that, uh, we don't see near as much wild oats uh, out there as we used to, uh, but uh, it, it can be a real yield robbing if you get it going. Uh, um, but same way with cheatgrass. You know, if you've got a heavy stand of that, it can be pretty tough on yield too, especially in a year like this where it's cool and it gets going and kind of gets ahead of the wheat, it can make a big difference.
0: You know, that's a real key. If if the grass gets ahead of the wheat and if we don't have a great crop canopy, when when you look at the pre-emerge followed by post-program in soybeans and in corn, we've had such good luck with that. Uh, we see more growers that are starting to use some of the pre's in wheat. What do you see with yep. the pre's? What should a guy, if a guy is going to use a pre, what kind of control can he count on or what should he really be planning for if he's using that pre?
3: Well, I think the, the pre's have some options, uh, that, uh, we don't see otherwise. And, and, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, some of these real tough grasses being, we're dealing with two grasses, um, you need to actually do a double shot where maybe you put some out in the fall, uh, a pre, and then you come with a post in the spring. Um, there's options that way now that, uh, works significantly better than we did uh, oh 10 10 years ago
0: yeah yeah that's for sure you know you you think about the group 15 Zidua or you could get it in Anthem Flex to that same active ingredient uh, that that's been kind of a, a difference maker when you really have group ones and group twos that we're choosing from just having another mode of action in there could be good does does the group 15 have a place uh, around South Dakota that you've seen
3: well, I think it does, in, uh, especially in the high-yielding areas where there is a lot of small grain in the rotation. Um, it, it's tough, uh, especially where we're not using tillage anymore. And uh, we get those going in the in the spring. And, boy, uh, if we can get a hard start on them before they grow, it, it sure sure's a lot better.
0: Now you mentioned reduced tillage and for the guys, there are a lot of guys that are that are no-till or very minimum till. So we kind of miss that option. But then I, I think the positive might be we've got a lot of those seeds just sitting there right on the surface. Do we get more degradation that way or do you see more seeds coming uh, where guys have, have got them down in the soil a little bit?
3: Well, I think um, uh, straight no-till is better for degradation uh, our problem is is if we're that halfway in between. Maybe we're uh, <laughs> yes. doing some strips or hose or something where we're stirring up a little bit of soil. So we really don't think we're doing any tillage. But yet any time you do that stir up, uh, you get a lot of weeds coming.
0: Well, we we do have plenty of broadleaf weeds out there. And so for most growers, I know they're going to be planning on spraying kochia or spraying some of these other tough broadleaf weeds that we've got. And a lot of times this is where we get questions about grass. Okay, I'm going to be spraying wide match or I'm going to be spraying husky or or some broadleaf killer out there. What can I mix with that to pick up some of these grasses? Talk to us about antagonism a little bit, Paul. Can you explain what that means when you're mixing broadleaf and grass herbicides and what growers couldn't expect to see.
3: Yeah anytime you uh, mix a broadleaf and a grass together it's usually the grass part that gets antagonized and so consequently it won't give as good a control as it would if the product was the the grass product was used alone. Also with that we've got the problem of dealing with usually the grass needs to be uh, sprayed out a little bit earlier uh, then the broadleaf. And we're familiar with the broadleaves and when we want to spray them and how we want to go after them. And so we don't always look at, you know, can we go a little early? Do we have some residual here to help out? And And so consequently, our grass control isn't as good sometimes.
0: Yeah, it can sure happen, and I know if we're in a really light weed pressure situation, no problem, and you're probably not going to notice it, but if it's really, really thick problems, especially really, really thick grass pressure, it definitely shows up where you're spraying the grass herbicide all by itself. When uh, when we look at some of these grass herbicides, Paul, are there big differences between them? Are you saying, man, I, I really like these products, they're working the best, or, or you see a lot of good products out there?
3: There's a lot of, uh, to me, a lot of good products. The thing is, uh, products work differently and farmers farm differently. And so one guy's going to find out that certain products work better for him with his system and others are going to swear by a different system. And again, it's a lot to do with, with how they handle it and, and what they do.
0: You know, we, we hear about weed resistance, and certainly with the the ALS herbicides, there've been plenty of weeds that that we've seen get resistant to that chemistry. Are, are there certain ones that you really like the ACC Ace products a lot better on, or that you say ALS for uh, for this grass or that grass just hasn't been reliable in your area?
3: Yeah, no, I think uh, the ALS grass business on on a lot of them, it, it's. It's showing some problems. It isn't as bad as like kosher where, you know, over half of them uh, are resistant, Uh, but we are starting to see more more resistance there, and uh, especially in wild oats
0: okay yeah that's 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 an important one too because like you say that's a big yield robber and and uh, a bigger concern maybe in North Dakota than it is in South Dakota nowadays but yep. but that used to always be the big one for us too we we're always worried about that uh, the other thing that we've seen is is crop safener technology Paul where uh, we can spray certain herbicides on spring wheat and they've got a lot of safener in there what is that actually doing is it does it change anything at all with the weed control or is it just to 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 make it easier on the crop?
3: Well, there's safeners that make it easier on the crops and there's safeners that somewhat antagonize the product being used so it is safer on the crop. And uh, both of them have their place, um, but yes, uh, there is real concern there. Uh, one other thing I just want to make sure I get in here, Darren, is because I've had a couple calls this spring of people raising rye and wanting to use grass control in rye and there's nothing labeled out there for post-emergence grass control in rye.
0: Yeah, that is, it is interesting, especially with all the cover crop that's going in and guys wanting to do the best they can to to really, I mean, honestly, the cover crop's been great for weed control in some cases, like mare's tail. I've seen big reductions in mare's tail pressure, but, but yeah, controlling a grass in those grass cover crops, uh, don't have a good option for you in rye. Hey, Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hope it warms up for you soon uh, and uh, you can get back out in the field. Have a great day. You bet. You too.
1: Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-take mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting for the Martin studio today talking about post-emerge grass herbicides for wheat, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head back to the phone lines. Got Kevin Thorsness on with us right now with Bear. Kevin, how are you doing today?
4: Doing well, thank you.
0: Are you surviving the snow and the cold? We've we've heard a lot about the the cold and snow. I know the territory run in North Dakota, northern Minnesota, uh, It wasn't blessed with great weather, at least in in my estimation. How are you guys holding up?
4: Pretty well, pretty well. The uh, the moisture is welcome, of course, but it, it's always nice if you get it in the form of rainfall instead of snow.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like the liquid form. It's a lot easier to scoop. Right. <laughs> Uh, but it won't be long we'll be back out in fields and and trying to control weeds out in the wheat fields uh talk to us a little bit you got obviously bears got products for winter wheat for spring wheat uh, we when you look at all the different things you've got durham you've got other things going on out there uh where do you start with these products and what are kind of some of the bases that we need to look at for controlling grass
4: well i i think you you, you look at what your crop is first of all um you know, when, when you get into the, the winter wheat, spring wheat, durum, like you mentioned, uh, we, we have a number of products we can use. We can use things like Husky Complete, which gives you control of, of your broadleaf weeds, as well as your green and yellow foxtail and wild oat. Uh, we have another product uh, by the name of Varro, which is more targeted towards northwest North Dakota into Montana, eastern Montana, and that'll provide you primarily with uh, your wild oat green and yellow foxtail control. And then it's it's flexible for various tank mix partners. And then we still have Wolverine Advance, which is the, basically it's puma plus husky. And that, that works well for green and yellow foxtail wild oat plus a whole plethora of broadleaf weeds. And that would be the one that you could also use it on Derm. Uh, the thing with that, you want to make sure you get it on before you're Uh, Barley is uh, beyond the fifth leaf. And other than that, it's going to work great to control your your grasses.
0: You know, you mentioned the timing, and this is one of those things where I know a lot of times we'll talk to growers, they'll be reading the label and say, okay, I've got up to the fifth leaf here to get this one on. I look at that weed size as being such a critical thing too. What should we be looking at here, Kevin? Because I know a lot of times we're trying to make as few passes out there as we can, but, by the same token, I want to have great weed control. Am I head to be just a hair on the early side?
4: no you're not you're not wrong darren um, i i I like to target the weed more than the crop. The only reason I pointed that out on Wolverine is that we have run into a few guys getting a little late and when you get late on barley with Wolverine advance, you can get some crop response, and we don't want that to happen. But you really want to target that weed and get the weed out early. Uh, we all know that good weed control early results in a better crop because the crop doesn't like to compete so with that in mind i, I really like to see us target these foxtails when they're in that uh, two to three leaf stage um, we can handle things when they get into that one tiller stage but control is going to be better if you apply prior to tillering of the foxtail
0: yeah it makes it and makes it a ton things of sense. For wild
4: oat and, just clean things up early, let the crop take over and canopy the rows and let it grow.
0: Yeah, I agree. Once things start tillering out, it just gets tough. And then the other thing is getting coverage. As the wheat crop gets bigger, it gets difficult to get coverage out there. Now when we're talking about grasses that are maybe an inch or two inches tall, uh I can imagine that using too much water might be a problem, but yet you need enough water to get good coverage down through that wheat. So have you found a happy medium, Kevin, or or does it vary depending on the applicator and the application system?
4: I, I think the the ideal application volume would be ten gallons per acre. And that's where we do, I would say 95% of our trials that our data is generated at that. I think the biggest, one of the biggest things is it, it, gallonage is important, but also the application technology you're using. Um, we've moved to a lot of large droplet size for obvious reasons with uh, use of Roundup and with the dicamba chemistries. However, we don't necessarily want to be using that application technology when we're applying our cereal herbicides. Um, they typically are going to be much happier, uh, better control if you're using a droplet in that medium to large droplet size. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I, I get questions from time to time when control isn't where the grower would like it to be. And as we drill down into that, sometimes we're finding that they're using these ultra-coarse droplets. And, and as you said, these really small foxtails and, and you start throwing out, you know, 10 droplets um, instead of, say, 40 droplets. It makes a big difference in trying to get that contact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Your odds are just so much better if you've got a little smaller droplet. And uh, I know we hear it all the time. Well, this worked for me last year. I've been doing this for three years and it's been working, but you, your odds are against you when you're you're putting out those great big droplets trying to land it on tiny little leaves. I mean, when you just look at dew on those small little grass weeds, uh, you just have to barely bump them and it's on the ground. So I can imagine it'd be the same way if you're spraying something on there. It wouldn't take much and you'd lose it and not get the coverage that you're looking for and, and weed control is going to suffer because there aren't any of these post-emerge grass herbicides that were really focused on residual, right? We're focused on contact killing.
4: Contact killing, exactly right. And good coverage is important. Um, primarily because the, tra- the amount of translocation you get with a, many of these grass herbicides that we use in cereals, the, content, the, the translocation is somewhat limited. They are translocated, but not to the same degree that glyphosate is. And that's why with glyphosate you can get by with that much larger droplet. If you, you get a large droplet on an individual plant, you're going to move it throughout the plant very rapidly and very readily and get that good control. When you get to these more of these, what we would say, contact slash translocated products, coverage becomes key. So gallonage and then your application technology using the right nozzle size so you get the right droplet size and then the right pressure to go with it and the right speed.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that's, (laughs) we talk about that a lot that, man, if you want to speed up your spraying, don't speed up your sprayer. Set up your, your fill technology where you're using a three inch line instead of a two inch line or, or things like that, or, or get a different pump that can pump it into your tank a little faster, do everything you can to reduce that time. And I remember having that conversation. Brian talks about this a lot too with, with our dad that he's like, well, wait a second. That's my time that I catch a sandwich or, or a candy bar or, or something take a little break. Like, no, we don't want any break. We want to keep that spare run in the field. Otherwise you're too tempted to, to drive too fast. Okay, i got to ask you this question. You mentioned Husky Complete earlier, and I know we've gotten a lot of questions about Husky FX and and just what's going on there and and what what you're doing with that, and if you were going to add a grass herbicide to that, what would you do? Uh, How do you answer that? Because I know Husky Complete has been pretty nice to do it all in one shot.
4: Well, we would like to go that direction, Um, and it's something we're continuing to work on and look at. However, one of the challenges you run into when you put all these things into a tank, and let's just say for the sake of argument that we, we take Husky Complete and we were to add the FX to it. Uh, in the Husky Complete, you currently have four active ingredients in there, I'll call it, when you count the safener, because you really have to count the safener, sure. uh, understanding that it has to play together. And Then you bring in another one, and now you have five uh, products, five Five molecules, probably is a better way to put it. And getting them to play together so that one molecule doesn't deactivate the other molecule over time. We don't want the safener to deactivate the herbicide, for example, so you get poor weed control. And conversely, we don't want the herbicide to, to eat, so to speak, the safener, so we get poor crop safety. And that's really the challenge that we're, we're trying to work through and then also bring it in a formulation that is readily usable for the grower and is user-friendly. Those yeah. are, it's, it's really quite challenging. It's much more challenging than, you know, something as simple as, uh, I don't know, making your coffee in the morning.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and it, it helps when you put it in that frame of, wow, we're already talking about four AIs in the tank now you're talking about five that can be uh, that can be problematic talking with Kevin Thorsness here with bear Kevin thank you so much really appreciate having you on stay tuned what's new from new farm
3: longbow EC herbicide the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools gives you another carfentrazone option taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species and did we mention economical longbow ec's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned
2: down non-selective herbicides ask your dealer for longbow ec available for fall revitech fungicide from basf has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise if you think good is good enough if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving if average is your goal this is not the fungicide for you revitech fungicide Brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions.
5: What do you think of when you hear Palmer, Amaranth, or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva
1: AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers 3 effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like Nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k y b e r herbicide.com/soy. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use-rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Martin studio today talking about post-emerge grass herbicides in wheat and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, let's head up north of the border. We get Cody with us right now. He's up. Uh, Cody, which side are you on? You're in Saskatchewan? You're in Alberta? Where are you at exactly? I'm just on the Saskatchewan side. When, when we're talking about post-emerge grass herbicides and wheat what what type of grass weeds are the worst on your farm are the toughest ones to get under control
6: well in our corner of the world here and uh, across a you know a good portion of what we call the parkland belts you know the northern prairies and everything um, wild oats are just that kindred spirit that we we've had with us here ever since our ancestors came here 120 years
0: ago so (laughs) yeah it'd be fun to give that one away wouldn't it just here you go you can just have it we don't need it anymore exactly (laughs) exactly all right so we were talking about timing and trying to catch these guys when they're early before they tiller out do you do you kind of have a a window of time you say man if i can get it done at at three leaf at four leaf wheat that's perfect for me what what do you shoot for
6: that's that would be exactly my place as well you know between the third and the fourth leaf i mean there's sometimes you you know if you, you get um you know a fairly um you know i guess maybe it's more so back in the older day old days when you know we didn't have different farming practices and stuff and more tillage you know seeding with air seeders and shovels and everything so that sometimes the wild oats would kind of get a little bit a uh, little further ahead than what they do now or whatever and. Um, so you would sometimes you, you get the wild oats were almost a leaf stage ahead so it wouldn't hurt to get out there and try and rattle them if you had the products but um typically now though i mean zero tillage and you know we're doing a pre-seed burn off with of glyphosate and then you know usually something else in the tank there as well so it, it it uh slows the slows those wild oats down so a lot of times we have to wait you know into that third three to four leaf stage is ideal i mean Um, Some of these products, yeah, definitely a guy, you know, we maybe um, typically June and everything can be so darn uh, wet sometimes that we can get kind of stuck out there um, just about going into a darn tiller or something before we can get into the fields to get the, get the darn thing sprayed and everything. So, but for the most part, no third or least stage is ideal, yeah.
0: Now, that timing is also really popular for fungicide application, for broadleaf herbicides. Uh, What do you do, Cody? Are you comfortable mixing all those things in one tank? And if so, uh, what do you, what are you nervous about doing, doing that? Well, I, I'm,
6: we, you know, around here, we usually, you know, have kind of one shot to get, you know, do our in crop herbicide and, um, so typically we're we're tank mixing all the time we're tank mixing a a, a grassy product and a broadleaf product together so i mean that's the biggest thing with these um, herbicides is that they're tank mixable so i mean it's whether it's uh, something like pinoxidin, which would be either um axial or the the other version is trondis. that's a, that's a really good one because we can tank mix it with you know really good broadleaf products because you know we, we got we got enough broadleaf problems as well it seems so um but you know it, it it's like anything else there's some other old products that really work well for us um even something like a uh flop which is horizon and or the old horizon or whatever um but the only problem with it is it doesn't have near as many mic- tank mix par- partners as what uh panoxidin does. So um, we have to be fairly mindful um, with regards to picking the right grassy product that we can mix with the right broadleaf product that's going to, you know, handle what weeds are present.
0: You know, you think about crop rotation too as another tool to try to control weeds. Uh, Are some of these grasses uh is there is there something you say, man, this one's just getting through about everything in my rotation, or you do you have plenty of other crops to to try to to wipe them out and give yourself a fresh start yeah,
6: yeah no we we i guess I mean we don't use any peas or lentils or anything i mean that's there is definitely peas around here, but we've got a lot of rocks here, so um we're fairly limited on growing the field peas and whatnot, so Typically, we're growing cereals and then canola and forages. So I kind of like the forages um, on the ground that's close enough that we can make feed out of it, more or less. And that's a good option that you can generally, you know, don't have to use a wild oat spray or something like that and cut the crop a little bit earlier before the wild oats can, you know, get to be a problem. And Roundup Ready Canola, I mean, Um, if you use it, you know, use this stuff kind of adequately. And I mean, we've been using the same, some of the same old kind of wild groups and chemistries and everything. We've been fairly careful about rotating not only just crops, but trying to rotate chemicals through so that we're not going more than one year and three or one year and four with part, you know, particular wild chemistries and that kind
0: of stuff. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, when you think about this year, you mentioned the canola too, and uh, a lot of guys are talking about doing more canola just with the way prices are at. Are you switching things up? Are you switching any acres up this year? Well,
6: I'm, I've, you know, honestly, around here, it, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, you know, I mean, you find it in the States too, where, you know, there you go, you know, corn and soybeans, or some people are continuous corn, or, you know, back and forth well up here we always joke because some guys are like you know wheat canola or cereal canola so it's like half the farm is in wheat and half the farm is in canola and just back and forth and there's the odd person that does a maybe a two-year canola and then a two-year cereal back-to-back kind of thing and um they they work and i mean you know you hear stories about disease problems and all this sort of thing and club root is a real problem i guess if it does get into into areas but um as far as rotation wise and that um for myself and everything i'm i'm probably going to actually grow a little less canola this year because of just some rotation issues and um the fact that you know my fertilizer budget or whatever is has been kind of blown this year, more or less, and I'm looking at it that where is my my fertilizer dollar best spent, and you know, limited fertilizer dollars best spent. So um, probably going to do some more oats um, and other c- cereals as well, and whatever. But oh no, no doubt there'll be some canola acres that are going to get pushed around here. I mean, it's it's pretty good money,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, like you say, with the fertilizer too. Uh, they're trying to take as much of that money out of our pockets as possible, <laughs> it seems. So I know that's forcing some guys down here to switch out of corn acres and go over to some soybean acres. And uh, we're, we're certainly going to see things uh, floating around. It's going to be interesting as this crop goes in. So for, for you, Cody, what's next? What, what happens next in the field? So next decent day that field conditions are fit and you can get out there, what do you be doing?
6: Well, we're going to go out and what we do is we got a set of what we call a mid-harrow, so it'd be a Borgo mid-harrow. So there's, you know, light-duty harrows, there's heavy harrows, and then there's mid-harrows. Well, we have a set of mid-harrows, and we'll run out over every acre, and, you know, once it's, it's you know, just quite dry, once it's dry enough and ready, and we'll harrow everything, um, try and level out the moisture and the seed bed because this is all stubble, and this is all standing, sure. zero-till sure. stubble. So we'll we'll go out there and we'll harrow it, and it kind of levels it out, and it also more or less evens out the moisture that's there, and it seals the ground, so then it, it sets up a kind of a nice seed bed, and then we'll just wait until, you know, soil temperatures start to get a little bit better and everything, and, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where you want to assess, you know, like most guys here will seed the wheat first, or um guys do peas or put the peas in first or whatever but um i'm myself or whatever i kind of look at it that yeah if it's if it's good enough to go on wheat well i'll probably do wheat but if it's kind of one of those things where i'm a little bit worried about being able to get you know get some weeds growing or something like that well you know that that pre-seed burn off is a pretty damn big thing and if you don't uh if you don't get a good job of a burn-off before you put your darn weed in and everything. And oh, yeah, I you mean, just have so many old.
0: so many less options after that point. Well, good luck to you, Cody. Hopefully it warms up here so you can get those jobs done really soon. We'll be right back.
1: Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from the fans of our germinators. After seeing the results in his neighbor's fields, DeVern in Missouri fully outfitted his planters with the germinator closing wheels. Now he says, the proof is in the pudding. After seeing our harvest results, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of the Farm Shop MFG germinator closing wheel. See more of what our fans are saying and order today for spring delivery at farmshopmfg.com.
0: Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day.
5: Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah,
0: I'm looking for some nitrogen.
5: All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check.
0: Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Envita, a microbe
2: with systemic nitrogen fixation. Envita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans.
0: Yeah,
5: we're all out, but- You know what? I'll take some of that Envita.
2: <sighs> That's what I was going to recommend.
0: Book your Envita while supplies last.
5: 2 by 2 by 2
6: systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake. Both sides of the row, 3 inches from the seed, and just 3 quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit. In stock and ready to ship. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
2: Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva Agriscience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <coughs> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment. Investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. Uh-oh. It's that simple. Instinct Next Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com.
0: Hey, everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and it is time for the Ag PhD Mailbag. We had a number of questions that have come here via email at radio at agphd.com. want to dive into those. And our phone lines will also be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to call in and chat about a question you've got. I got this one from Doug. He said, uh, try to listen to your show, especially when I'm in my truck and I, I'm sending a soil sample here from one of my fields to see what you recommend. It's river bottom, central Illinois with every soil type known to the state of Illinois. Uh, it goes from sandier stuff to white timber soil, to heavy river, river bottom, all within a half mile. Uh, he said it's about eight feet of topsoil and then 90 feet of sand and, uh, just kind of curious what you think about that. All right, Doug, thanks for the soil samples. Really appreciate uh, the chance to take a look at those for you. Uh, just for, for everybody at home, I know sometimes we look at soil t- tests and it's it might be hard to follow. Uh, I'll just say this. We've got 3% organic matter. And we've got a CEC on average in the 20s. I think every one of these samples is in the 20s. So some are close to 30, some are close to 20. So there's quite a variance in there. I see what you mean about some grounds heavier and some grounds lighter. So overall, for most of our listeners, they're going to say, you know what? That ground has some holding capacity. We've got phosphorus on average uh, on a malic 3 extraction of 70 pounds of phosphorus out there. Uh, And our base saturation potassium is around 2%. So we got heavy ground. We could definitely use some more potassium really everywhere. I didn't see a single sample here that I wouldn't say you could benefit from more potassium. So I would be looking at potassium, but here's the thing you've got. Uh, calcium in the mid-70s on your base saturation, and magnesium in the upper teens to low 20s. So we've got some room there to take out some of that calcium and magnesium and add potassium. And oh, by the way, soil pH is all in the sixes, so I love that. So we don't have to worry about adjusting that a whole bunch. We just have to add some more K and and we have to add some more sulfur along the way to help release some of that calcium and magnesium that's in excess, and that'll allow the potassium build. Uh, so I like sulfur in this case. I like you know putting on more than what your crop really needs. That way you can, you can use that sulfur to tie up some of those nutrients, calcium and magnesium, and let the potassium build up. We also are super low in boron. We're at 0.3 parts per million on every one of these samples, which... To me, it looks a little fishy, like uh, they didn't find much. Maybe that's their bottom end. I'm not sure at that lab, but uh, the rest of the micronutrients look okay. So for me, I'd spend money on sulfur and boron, and then I'd spend money on potassium and, you know, whatever you're going to need for crop removal on phosphorus and nitrogen. Uh, oh, that's one last thing. You didn't have a nitrogen test on here at all. So I don't know where you're at, how much nitrogen is left from last year or uh, I have no idea. So I would suggest running that nitrogen test, too, just to find out what you've got out there. You can run just a straight nitrate test for $5. It's really cheap, so it doesn't cost much to to take a look at how much nitrogen's out there, but it helps you dial in what you're going to do. So that'd be my recommendation. Just N, P, and K to crop removal. Uh, add some more K to build if you can afford it, and then sulfur and boron are going to be really big for you, too. Hey, thanks, Doug. Really appreciate the, the samples and chance to look at those. Uh, I got this one from uh, Jay who says, uh, curious about grain trucking. Just wondering, is grain hauled seasonally or is it kind of consistent throughout the season? Uh, you know, it depends on the farm operation for, for really large operations. They may be hauling uh, just about every month of the year. Uh, for some that don't have bins, it's very seasonal. It's going to happen right at harvest time, and they're going to haul everything off. Uh, and and there's everything in between. So, yeah, I would say for for farmers, it's pretty seasonal for uh, on average, and for um, you know big grain outfits, uh, ele- grain elevators, those types of things, uh, moving grain around all the time. Hey, thanks, Jay. Appreciate the question. Uh get this one in from Ed in Indiana. He said on fields that I had chisel plowed last fall, am I better to spray the three prees for my soybeans then work it in with the field cultivator and plant? Or should I field cultivate first to level the field off, then plant, and then apply the three prees as a pre-emerge? Well, there's there's certainly a couple different ways you can do it, and you could also split it up and do some each way to spread your risk a little bit. For me, if that chisel plowed field is really rough and you got big hills and valleys, then you may want to level that thing off first before you put the three pres out there. But in a lot of cases, if it's not big hills and valleys, then just spray the three pre's, working in with a field cultivator. Just have to kind of keep in mind how those products work. Valor and authority, the PPOs, Uh, They they don't want to be deep in the soil. So if you've got big hills and valleys and you say, you know what, Uh, half of my stuff's going to get buried three or four inches deep, Uh, not interested in that. I'd much rather level that off first and then put the pre's on. But just keep in mind, we love the pre's lightly incorporated. We think they work the best then and need the least amount of rain. So if you're in an area that doesn't get much rainfall, if you could lightly work them in, that would be the best. Hey, thanks, Ed. We appreciate the question. Got this one from uh, let's see, Jeff. Uh, Jeff said I've been using your fertilizer removal app for several years, but I tried a couple of weeks ago here opening it up, and it said I didn't have an internet connection, even though I did. Uh, so I'm just wondering uh, if there are some issues there. Uh, I've got an iPhone 12 and all the updates are completed. Hey, Jeff, we actually, I think the day that you sent in your email, we we just did an update on the app and there was something they didn't have right. And they did get that fixed the next day. So if it's not working still, let us know. But uh, I I had the same issue because as soon as you sent that, I I just looked it up on my phone also. And I was like, yeah, he's right. It didn't work. And then uh, I think by later that day, it was, it was all fixed and up. So hopefully, Hopefully it's working good for you. Got a question here from Willie. He said, or Kevin. I'm Kevin and Willie here. Uh, what's the best way to handle this crop? We have five thousand gallons of hog manure to put out here. We've got a rye cover crop, and then we intend to plant corn in this field. Would you wait? Burn it down? Uh, or work it first before spreading. You know what we did on our farm? We had an oat cover crop that we just went ahead and injected manure right on through it, and that worked out pretty good for us. Uh, if, it depends on your area and what your moisture situation is. If you're overly wet... Then we kind of like having that cover crop out there to suck some excess moisture away. If you're normally dry and you say you're on light sand, so I'm going to guess you're normally dry, then I'd probably want to get that cover crop terminated soon. But, uh, it, It's up to you. This cover crop thing is really interesting and everybody manages it just a little bit different. If it was me, I would go ahead and put the hog manure on and uh, I'm not sure how you're doing that, if that's going to be an effective way of just tilling the whole field. If it's just injecting and it's a knife every so often and you're going to have to come back, uh, go ahead and knife that stuff in, give it a week and then burn things off but if you wanted to buzz across with the sprayer spray some roundup out there to kill that cover crop if you had good warm weather to do it go for it and then you can put the manure on I believe the next day and you would be fine so anyway you can check the label on roundup just to see if there's a wait time or anything like that but that would probably be my strategy get the get the stuff sprayed out and then get the hog manure on and then you'll be set to go with corn whenever you can thanks for the question uh, I got this one from Patrick who said, uh, guys, just uh, want to know, I, I really related to your talks you've had on lodging and fertility, and it's about uh, parts of my field that were low in P and K, and that's where I was having the lodging issues. Uh, also, I did pattern tile through those areas just a couple weeks ago, so hopefully sol- that solves some of the issues about drainage as well. Hey, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for sharing that. We really appreciate that. Uh, Get this one in from Nick. He said, guys, I'm 20 years old and two years into my career here in ag business and retail. I'm in Northeast Kansas working for a, a retailer here and looking to become a salesman over the next couple of years and just wondering what I can learn on my own, what books and, and types of things would you recommend to help me become a salesman for seed, ag chem, and fertilizer. Hey, thanks. We really appreciate that, Nick, and and first of all, uh, congratulations on putting yourself in a position to be able to do this. I think agronomy is such a fun area and has got so much promise going forward, and if you're really good at it, there's a great chance for you to help a lot of farmers make good money, and as a result, you'll make really good money, too. The book I would recommend getting is Neil Kinsey's book, Hands-On Agronomy and it just goes through each nutrient and crop fertility. I think that's fantastic. Also, I would get from Iowa State, they've got a couple publications, how corn plants grow and develop, and how soybean plants grow and develop, and just whatever crops are grown in your area, become an expert on the growth stages of those crops, and an expert on fertility, and you'll make a huge difference. Thanks for the email, Nick, and thanks to you for listening to our show today. Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.